From WXXI News, this is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Unleash is our monthly show that gives you the chance to talk about your pets and hear about current issues surrounding animals, including medical marijuana. The national debate is reaching the pet population. Medical marijuana is toxic for dogs and cats, but there is a form of liquid cannabis. It's being used to treat a variety of conditions. That's in just a moment. We should also tell you that coming up, we're going to be welcoming Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital in studio with us. And you can ask her a question about your pet's health or behavior by calling 844-295-TALK. That's 844-295-8255. If you're in Rochester, the number is 263-WXXI, 263-9994. You can tweet your question to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack. She's on Twitter at MMacMedia. I'm on Twitter at Evan Dawson. We'll talk to Dr. Walker in a moment, but let's start with that national debate over medical marijuana and how it's expanding into the pet population. We saw some stories in our newsroom about pot for pets, and our colleague Beth Adams decided to dig into the issue. She learned quickly that there are a number of misconceptions regarding treating animals with a special form of liquid cannabis, and there are questions about who's allowed to do that. Beth spoke with Dr. Dr. Barbara Royal of the Royal Treatment Veterinary Center in Chicago. Dr. Royal, I have to admit, when I first heard the story that people were giving liquid cannabis to dogs, I thought it was a spoof. But you actually are prescribing medical marijuana for dogs. Well, it's not medical marijuana. That's the thing. It's, that's why it ends up being such a confusing issue for people. It just, it's understanding what we're really using. So medical marijuana is a different thing, and we can't actually prescribe that for animals. It's illegal, in, I think, in all states at the moment. But the, there's a component of cannabis that comes from hemp that is an incredibly powerful tool for, as an anti-inflammatory supplement. And that's what we're using. So we're prescribing a hemp-sourced, it's called cannabinoid treatment, and it's CBDs. It's, this, it's a similar component that we, you know, what we use when we're dealing with medical marijuana because it's, it's the same compound. It's just in a different form when you're dealing with it in marijuana because you're, it's, coming from, it's, it's the same form, but it's coming from a different place. So people are a little bit more nervous about giving medical marijuana to animals because it can be toxic in them. So marijuana itself has the THC that can be toxic, so we don't want to mix you know, the marijuana with the pets until we really have a better idea of how we, how we extract the CBD from there. All right, so this is a compound of what we would think of as medical marijuana. How, how do you as a veterinarian access it? Is it available over-the-counter in Illinois? Some of it's available over the counter and some of it's prescription only. I use a, you know, a couple of different products depending on what we're dealing with. There is a, a really good liquid oil form that is prescription only that I use. And that one has, you know, I just can guarantee the content of it. I know how it's been sourced and I just am pretty careful about how I, how I give, you know, this kind of a compound. So what kind of conditions in dogs are you prescribing this for? It's sort of surprising to me how many conditions I've found that this works to help. I initially started using it really more for things like seizures and anxiety. We moved a little bit into blood pressure issues and then more into other inflammatory conditions like autoimmune diseases and allergies. And then we've been using an awful lot for cancer cases and things like that because it does stop a lot of the inflammation, which is one of the precursors for cancer cells. So we've been seeing a wider variety of things that it's useful for. And and it's interesting because I think the reason for that is that if you look at the physiology of mammals, there are cannabinoid receptors all throughout the body. And there's a lot of them in the central nervous system, but there are cannabinoid receptors in, in pretty much everywhere in the body. And 
they would be like a lock and key mechanism with the, with this medication to upregulate or downregulate what's going on there. So in general, these are sort of they sort of downregulate inflammation wherever they go. Well, that sounds promising, but I have to be honest. As a pet owner, the first thing that occurs to me is. Is this treatment safe and is it effective? I mean, how much research is actually behind this in using cannabinoids for dogs? It's actually very safe because when we're using it from hemp, it does not have anything that's, you know, sort of the psychedelic parts of this. And the CBDs have been shown to be very, very safe. They've been used actually for thousands of years in animals and people. So they're, they're an incredibly safe supplement when you're getting them from hemp. So that's that's the thing that's confusing to people because marijuana itself is actually toxic in, in dogs and cats. So you really don't want to be just randomly sort of choosing a, a medical marijuana and giving it to your pet. Choosing something that comes from hemp and getting it prescribed by a doctor who knows what they're doing, that can actually be not only safe but incredibly effective. I've been using it for quite a while in the animals in my clinic, and I'll say that the owners are absolutely on board and excited about it, even when they sort of are hesitant at first and like, mm, I don't know. We try it, and it's, they, they come back and say, I can't believe, I can't believe the effects that this is having, having on, on anxiety, having on seizures, having on inflammatory conditions, arthritis. Arthritis is an incredible, it's one of those, one of those conditions where we're saying, okay, this can't be happening. We're treating arthritis with a, a CBD, and the animals are, are looking dramatically better, dramatically better, where they weren't going up and down stairs at all. We start the CBD, and all of a sudden they're doing stairs. They're playing with toys they haven't played with in a long time. It's closer to what I usually see when, you know, when we do um, regular anti-inflammatories, and we don't have to have the side effects from that. So it's amazing. There's, there, there are no, no terrible side effects like we'll see from some of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Are you giving this to clients uh, for use in, in animals other than dogs, any other species? Cats. Mm-hmm. Cats, cats as well. Yep, dogs and cats. Absolutely. For the same, similar conditions. Mm-hmm. Yep, we've been, seeing, we've been seeing amazing things. I know, I know it's possible to use on other species because there has been some, some you know, look at how, how safe it is. So I'm just sort of, I wait and watch a little bit on, on what the options are out there and what's already been done. I'm pretty cautious about trying anything new in my patients, even you know things that come out of the pharmaceutical land. I wait a little while to make sure because not everything always you know, is, is as safe as everyone says it is. But in this case, I have found absolutely no problems. I've seen incredibly good research behind the safety of these, and I, I think the efficacy has been tremendous. Is the product you're using regulated in any way so that you know what you're getting in terms of dosage, in terms of uh, the, the quantity and quality of what's actually in there? This is a pr- the product that I'm using um, the most is a prescription item. So there are some regulations and monitoring of what's happening in terms of how they're processing it when they're they're doing their testing. The laboratory testing is pretty strict. So I feel really confident that what I'm buying is what I'm getting. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this thinking, can my animal get stoned on this? This <laughs> know, element one of, the of biggest questions I get. Yeah, and, and it's just no. No is the answer. It will cause more downregulation of sort of anxiety. So that's why we can use it for anxiety, blood pressure, seizures, things like that. But I do not see 
a sort of a, a dazed out stone staring at the wall kind of you know looking for you know looking for something you know to to like they don't even get the munchies from it or anything but it's it's definitely I don't see that and I know the biggest problem with something like this is that education in this type of therapy is really really difficult to find so in order to do this I have to go to the people who are making it who are on the front lines and actually you know get information from them like Rob Silver um, who's one of the people who has researched it I've you know specifically gone spoken to him listened to him lecture um, and from that I've actually developed I have a university where I teach things like this for owners and things like that it's the Royal Animal Health University so I make sure that there's going to be education about um, treatments out there that are that are more effective yes and I understand you actually are developing a webinar on this so yeah. people will be able to go to a website and learn more what Absolutely. what is that URL or is it not up yet? The website's going to be coming up. I mean, the website's up already. Yes, for sure. The website's up and it's rahu.education. It's www.rahu.education, um, which is R-A-H-U, which is Royal Animal Health University. So that's the website. And then I also have information about it even right now at my regular website for my clinic, which is the Royal Treatment Vet Center.com. Well, I know we checked with some veterinarians locally here in New York State, and we could not find any that used it. And I, I'm curious, what do you hear from other vets when you talk about this? Do you get any pushback or any resistance to this idea of using this component of cannabis for animals? Yes, I think a lot of veterinarians are very nervous about it because we've heard for years how toxic cannabis is for pets. And I worked in emergency clinics, and I saw the toxic effects of cannabis from from cannabis, the marijuana plant, you know, in animals, you know, pretty regularly. So that's that's an issue, and it, it scares most people. So it's just the the fact that they're getting the wrong information about what we're doing is confusing. Once I explain to veterinarians that this is something that's coming from hemp, which is a very benign plant in terms of that kind of thing, and it's very, very safe, people are really interested because we don't have a lot of great answers for some of these problems we're seeing. And having something that's effective and doesn't have a lot of side effects is an amazing tool for veterinarians. And they get pretty excited about it then. Have you ever seen an adverse reaction in an animal that was given this? So far, no. I have not. I don't. I'm, I'm, I imagine that there will be somewhere down the line something, is, you know, some adverse reaction. But I've been using it for, I don't know, over certainly over a year, and I have four veterinarians in my practice um, that have been using it pretty regularly. We have thousands of animals now that have been using it. No problems at all. I suspect this is not the last we're going to be hearing about this. I suspect we will. It will not be the last we'll be hearing about it. Absolutely, it's um, it's an up and coming, amazing supplement with very few side effects. I mean, I, don't, I think it's going to be in the news more and more. Dr. Barbara Royal, veterinarian, founder and owner of the Royal Treatment Veterinary Center in Chicago. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. You're welcome. That was our colleague Beth Adams reporting. And we want to remind our listeners that medical marijuana is toxic to pets. It's different from the hemp source liquid cannabis that you heard Dr. Royal describing here. You can learn more from her website. Again, that's rahu.com education.edu and uh, we, we are ahu.edu and we spoke by the way with a, a few local veterinarians who say they don't prescribe liquid cannabis and there's still uncertainty about how pet owners are accessing the substance last month cbs news reported this quote if people want to give cannabis to their pets they can only do so if they have a valid cannabis card veterinarians are not legally allowed to prescribe the substance so owners are acting as their pet's doctor a situation that gives some actual veterinarians 
pause, end quote. That's from a CBS News report last month. But, you know, it certainly sounds like it's a, a kind of a, a, a fluid situation, and we'll, we'll keep reporting on it as we hear more. Uh, I want to welcome our guest who is in studio for the hour, Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital is back with us. Dr. Walker, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Uh, we were just talking as, as this piece was wrapping up that this is still a very new issue, and it's not something that is, uh, liquid cannabis is not something that's in your office for, for, as, a, as a pet option yet, right? No, definitely not. Okay, so what, what questions stand out to you before you're even going to be comfortable you know, thinking about that? Apart from the law <laughs> and what the law you know, would, would allow you to do, but what questions as a doctor would you have? Yeah, I think first off that it would be a legal option is probably important, but I would think that more research needs to be done. And and like I was mentioning to you before, um, humans can tell you what they're experiencing when when you know they're on medical marijuana, whereas animals can't. So it seems like we're doing a lot of guessing of you know how how they're experiencing this and what they're getting from it. So I think you know um, controlled studies probably should be done in terms of you know objectives and and figuring out if it actually is helping control pain in animals or not. Sure. And in the broader medical community, when we think about drug approval and testing, I mean, it can take, you know, I think on average something like nine years to get new drugs approved, things like that. So do you expect this is going to be sort of a slow rolling thing or or are you hearing more about this? No, I do think it probably will be a slow rolling thing too, especially since the law is involved and, and, you know, right now we're not allowed to prescribe it. So I think that it probably would be something that would take some time. Okay. Uh, Listeners, if you've got any questions about your pet's health or behavior, you can call 844-295-TALK. It's 844-295-8255. Or if you're in Rochester, you can call 263-WXXI, 263-999. Nine, four. Let's get our first break of the hour, and we're going to come back and get some of your questions for Dr. J- Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital. She's our guest in studio. Let's get that break and come right back. Coming up in our second hour, a luminary in the park world. Her name is Tupper Thomas, and she was behind the revitalization of Prospect Park in New York did remarkable things for decades before her 2011 retirement, but she's still active in making sure our parks around the country get the focus, the funding, and the restoration help they need. She's coming to Rochester next week, but first she's our guest next hour. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR FM and HD Rochester, WEOS FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI FM HD2 Rochester. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. Welcome back to Unleashed on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Let me correct the record. It is rahu.education. That's the website if you want to learn more uh, from the guest that my colleague Beth Adams had talking about liquid cannabis for pets. rahu.education education. Let's take your first phone call for Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital. It's Catherine in Rochester. Go ahead, Catherine. Hey, um, I just had a question. We have a two-year-old dog, and um, last summer and now this spring, um, we're seeing a lot of gunk in the corner of her eyes. And I had mentioned it to the vet in the past, um, but she wasn't experiencing it at the time, and the vet said that it was allergy-related. But I've never heard of a dog having seasonal allergies before, and so I just wanted to call and see 
if this is something I should be concerned about, should I bring her in or or is it fine? I know you laugh, but actually seasonal allergies are something that is super common in animals. And this time of the year, we're seeing a lot of cases of seasonal allergies. And so if your dog seems to be itchy, um, scratching or rolling on the ground, you're noticing those things? Yeah. Okay. I definitely would. And there are several options in terms of, you know, alleviating the itchiness um, that your dog is feeling. So sometimes um, an antihistamine is prescribed, just like regular over-the-counter human antihistamines. Um, Your Mm -hmm. vet can give you dosage, dosages that are appropriate um, for your dog. There is a new medication called Apoquil, which is really awesome because it works similar to a steroid, but it doesn't have the same negative side effects that steroids do. And sometimes, depending on the severity of the allergies. You know, even steroids are prescribed for a short period of time. So this is something that many animals deal with, mostly dogs. And, you know, we are seeing kind of a flare up. Um, You know, we do, you know, every year around this time in the spring and, you know, sometimes Uh in the summer, in the fall too. So, you know, allergic conjunctivitis is, seems like the signs that you're describing. um, Yeah. Yeah. So her conjunctiva are probably really red and one of the causes of conjunctivitis can be allergies. So, um, you know, you noticing that along with you know some other signs it seems like that that's you know what she's dealing with and I probably would call your vet and you know maybe it's something just as simple as an antihistamine can help that but um, you know my dog has allergies she's allergic to grass and they actually can run allergy panels on your dog and um, and so my dog takes Zyrtec every day and that seems to help her so but there's you know differing severities for for every animal so I would take her though because it sounds like you know she there are there's something out there that can definitely help her okay cool Catherine, good luck to you. Thanks for the phone call. Let's get next to Michelle in Rochester. Go ahead, Michelle. Hi. um, I'm calling about my dog. Um, He was really good when I first got him. He was two years old. Uh, He was a rescue, and he was good with other people, all people and all dogs and cats and everything. And um, when he was about three or so, he started um, becoming super aggressive towards other dogs. And um, then a little bit later, he started becoming aggressive to, to certain to people who have like probably dirty laundry smell to them. And it's really hard when I'm walking down the street because I can't tell if somebody is gonna set him off with that smell. But he's starting to go after people who don't smell clean too. And it just seems like he's becoming more particular. And I don't know what I should do about it. Yeah, I mean, that definitely sounds concerning. And, you know, adopting a rescue dog at an older age, you know, you have no idea what sort of things happened in, you know, their previous life that may have set them up for some sort of issue later on in their life. So to me, um, you know, it sounds like either getting a trainer for your dog to try and figure out. So there obviously must have been something that changed in, in, you know, in their life that maybe set them up to, you know, act like this or or you know, to behave like this when this trigger is occurring. So, you know, either finding like a veterinary behaviorist, there actually are veterinarians that specialize just in behavior and they can actually analyze your dog's behavior and figure out what the trigger is. Um, And they, you know, dogs can be prescribed medication just like humans, like Prozac um, and other things like that, just because if he or she is is really stressed, um, you know, sometimes that can set them up to to acting out like this. Um, So, you know, either finding some sort of trainer that 
that I would say is recommended by a veterinary behaviorist because, you know, anyone can kind of call themselves a trainer. Um, so I know that Cornell has a veterinary behaviorist, and I'm sure some other, like, larger specialty hospitals do. And a lot of times if you call, um, you know, I'm sure you can either get an appointment, and a lot of times they're happy to talk with you over the phone too. But I definitely think that's something that you should investigate because I think without doing anything, it's only going to get worse. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. You're Mich- welcome. Michelle, good luck to you. Thanks for the phone call. Joanne in Rochester next. Go ahead, Joanne. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. My cat is um, 13. Uh, she's a rescue. I adopted her three years ago. Her vet is saying because she's 13 now, she no longer needs her distemper shots, that the risks outweigh the benefits, and she's probably built up uh, resistance anyway. What are your thoughts about that? So... Um, that's, you know, that's a good question. And I think that, you know, your veterinarian being the one that knows your cat um, is probably the best one that's, you know, qualified to make that decision. And so, you know, vaccines are hard because it's not like, you know, after one year or three years, the antibodies just disappear. They're always there and you're and you're giving these boosters to boost their immune system so that they're, you know, they'll regenerate the antibodies. But I but, you know, exactly. Older cats, you know, they can experience side effects from vaccines, really any cat or dog, um, just like we do when we go to the doctor. And so, you know, they're probably considering that, you know, maybe if you're giving a modified live vaccine, what that means is that you're actually giving a small dose of the virus. And so your cat may become affected by that. Um there is also something called um, an injection site sarcoma, and so that means that where the site that your cat has been being vaccinated all these years, it's possible that they can develop a tumor in that area. And so the the least amount of vaccines that we can give a cat, especially the better, um, because they do have that risk of developing that. Um, and that's why we've actually gone to vaccinating cats in their back legs instead of, you know, in between the shoulder blades where they used to be is because if a tumor grows there, it's really hard to remove it. Um, but back to the question of specifically the distemper vaccine, that protects against upper respiratory viruses in cats. And so most cats, um, you know, are affected by that if they come from like a shelter situation. And so that just kind of keeps them somewhat protected that if they're stressed, um, you know, hopefully they won't they won't um, become affected by these different viruses. So I think that that's a really tough call. And I think that, you know, that vaccine is, is fairly effective against protecting against those viruses. And so I would have to, you know, have a good reason to maybe not give it, um, but but I would maybe talk more to your vet individually since, you know, you guys are the ones that are making that decision together. And if you don't understand why they're recommending it, um, you know, you should always feel free to call them, and I'm sure that they'll have a discussion with you about, about their specific reasons for not wanting to in your cat. Okay, thanks very much. You're welcome. Joanne, thanks. Good luck to you. If you want to call the program with questions about your pet's health or behavior, it's 844-295-TALK. It's toll-free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI. If you're calling from Rochester, 263-9994. We're talking to Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital. And, you know, I was struck by the fact that when we talked about liquid cannabis, you said, you know, you can talk to people about (laughs) their experiences with cannabis or, or you know, it, trying to treat certain symptoms. You can't talk to pets about it, so it's hard to get really good feedback in some ways. That, you know, f- for me, you can't talk to pets about showing pain either. Mm-hmm. Animals, do, do dogs or cats show pain more likely or do neither show a lot of pain? 
So that's a really interesting question and something that we battle with every day being veterinarians is I think that a lot of times people, when they bring their pet in, they say, oh, well, they're, you know, they're not in pain. But, you know, dogs and cats have evolved to not show pain because if they show any sort of weakness, you know, in the wild, they would be eaten or killed by something else. And so, you know, they and you know most of the time they're just happy animals that are just trying to exist in their normal life. And and so they a lot of times hide, you know, hide their pain or hide their signs of pain. And and when you it's funny because when you see like, you know, a cattle come in for limping, oh, but they're not in pain. But, you know, that is their sign of pain is that they're limping. And so people don't really equate that. And so a lot of times they won't show you the same signs. You know, animals experience pain the same way that we do. It's just they don't show it the same way that we do. Okay. And so, you know, this comes from my question before the hour began. I've got a almost 16 year old cat. And, you know, my mother was visiting last weekend and she was convinced that she, this cat was, uh, you know, that she was kind of hurting going up the stairs. And I, I wasn't totally convinced, but I could see it. And then, then I'm thinking if there's any sign at all, it might be worth asking. And you mentioned before the program began, you can actually feel for arthritis, those kinds of things? Yes. Yeah. So what I was saying is that usually in all animals, when you do an exam, um, at least when I do one, you know, you feel the knees and the hips and, you know, you're feeling for signs of that, especially in an older animal. Um, so like I was saying, the first sign, you know, usually of arthritis is that they'll start start to have, you know, muscle wasting in their back end, which means that they're not using, you know, their back end as much as they used to. So the muscles start to atrophy. So, you know, once there's bony changes in the joint, you can feel, we call it crepitus, but you can actually feel, you know, uh, changes in that joint. And so if you're feeling changes in the joint, that means that there's definitely arthritis in there. And, you know, a lot of times people will be surprised by that. And like you were saying, you know, they cover that up. And so you'll have to start asking people questions like, oh, are they going up the stairs as much as they used to? Or are they jumping as much as they used to? Especially in cats, that's a pretty good indicator if they're not jumping as much as they used to. You know, there's probably something going on. Um, but in cats especially, the muscle atrophy is something that we definitely look for. I think she's just lazy, but we'll see. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get an exam for it. And I certainly appreciate that reminder to at least check because, you know, she's not going to tell you, hey, this hurts. Yeah, definitely. You got to really notice. Back to the phones we go. And this is John in Rochester. Go ahead, John. Yes, good afternoon. Um, I have a, a golden doodle that uh, seems to be uh, prone to ear infections, uh, at least like the dark waxy buildup. And so, uh, you know, I'll clean it out with one of the uh, either like a, a vinegar and water or one of the regular ear uh, uh, cleaning solutions that you get over the counter. And then uh, the vet uh, suggested um, uh, Mometamax uh, otic uh, suspension, but only lasts for about a week or so. Uh, can uh, you think of anything that might be a little longer lasting? So golden doodles and labs and golden retrievers are kind of prone to ear infections based on, you know, kind of the conformation of their ear canals and the fact that they have these nice floppy ears that sit right over the top of their ear canal. And so, you know, if your dog a lot of times on questioning during an exam will be like, well, does your cat or sorry, does your dog swim? Um, Is there any way that water is getting in their ear? And so, yeah, so these types of dogs just seem to be kind of prone to yeast infections, which I don't know if the vet, if the vet has specifically told you it's yeast or not. Um, But what would be a good idea to do is what we do anyways, is usually when there's an ear infection, we actually take a swab of the gunk that's in the ear and look at it under the microscope. um, Because if there's any sort of bacterial infection, the antibiotic that is in that um, medication might not be appropriate for the type of bacteria that's growing in your dog's ear. 
So it, and it's hard to say just by the color, um, you know, or the smell, you know, you actually have to look for it. And okay. so if there is any sort of like bacterial infection and you're using this antibiotic um, that it's not working for it, then, you know, it's not going to get rid of it regardless. Um, the other thing is, you know, treating for only a week. And again, you know, most of the time with a simple ear infection, you can treat it for a week and it will go away. But a lot of times you have to treat for longer than that, sometimes even 10 to 14 days in. And sometimes we've had ear infections that you have to treat for a month. So it just depends on the severity of the ear infection and exactly, you know, what's growing in the ear. Um, but it sounds to me kind of like what what's going on is that maybe this ear infection is never resolved and it just continues to come back. And that's exactly why a lot of people, um, you know, they don't like to come back for the recheck appointments, but that's why the recheck appointment is very important. Um, you know, after treating these animals with this medication is because, you know, it's important for us to swab the ears and make sure that there's nothing growing in the ears still. And also for the vet to look down into the ear canal and make sure that there's no more debris in there, because if you leave any in there, it's just going to, you know, repopulate again. Yeah. Okay, you've been very helpful. I'll keep trying. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Good luck to you. Bill in Pittsford is next. Go ahead, Bill. Great show. Uh, Two questions. Uh, One, I have a dog that's lost of pigmentation on her feet, a little bit around their lips. Nothing serious, but just curiosity. And the other question is about the excessive amount of fatty growth that uh, dogs get under their skin coat. Uh, some people have them removed, some people don't. Uh, I guess it's personal preference, but does that come from the diet that dogs get these excessive fatty growths? And I'll listen to your answer off the air. All right, Bill, thank you very much. Let's start with the pigmentation thing. Is that just age? Is that Can that happen? It, it can, but there are actually are a few different like autoimmune diseases oh, that okay. like depigmentation kind of is um, classic for. And so I would, you know, around the mouth, especially and around the nose um, and of the feet, uh, that is something I probably would have checked out by your veterinarian. Um, it, is there any other signs that your dog is oh, showing? So he he oh, said he wanted gone. to take him off the air. Okay. So, <laughs> so but, but bottom line is if you're noticing that pigmentation loss, especially around Yeah, the snout, around the around mouth, mouth and the snout. Yeah, and especially if you're maybe starting to notice any sort of ulceration, that is something that I would have checked out by okay. your vet. Um, and then for the fatty, fatty masses. Tissue, yeah. yeah, so that is a very common uh, mass in dogs as they age, and it can happen in all breeds. Um, certain breeds, I guess, are more predisposed to it, but um, they're called lipomas. And so, you know, certain other types of cancer can kind of look similar to a lipoma, so it is something that I would make sure that you're that you point out to your vet and have them feel it. But sometimes even feeling it can be deceiving too. And so what we normally do is something called an FNA, and that stands for fine needle aspirate. And so you stick a needle into the mass, and it collects some of the cells of the mass, and you look at that under the microscope. And if it's a fatty tumor, you know, you will see um, just fat cells. And if it's something else, you know, a lot of times you'll see some other types of cells too. That uh, that test, the FNA, is not 100%, um, but most of the time with the feel and seeing just fat cells underneath the microscope, I would say that's a pretty good chance that it's something that you can just monitor and keep an eye on. And and you're correct in, in saying that a lot of times it's not something that we recommend removing, um, but lipomas, just because they're benign masses, meaning not cancerous, doesn't mean that they won't cause problems depending on the location of it. You know, sometimes if they're in the armpit or around, you know, the face or neck, uh, they can grow really big and actually impede movement or anything else. So it just depends kind of on the location of it and if it, you know, if there's a chance it'll cause a problem for your dog in the future. Bill, two very good specific questions and two really great answers there. Let's get uh, back to the phones. Megan in Rochester. Go ahead, Megan. Hi. um, I have a six-year-old pit bull uh, whippet mix, 
and he is constantly breaking his nails, <laughs> even though we take him to the vet to get them trimmed pretty regularly. Um, and I know that some people give their dogs the same as humans, vitamins, omega-3, and it's and again, just like humans, it's hard to know what is a, um, a reputable brand. Is that something you would recommend to harden them or if you could just speak to that? That's a that's a good question. So it is it is true that, um, you know, if he has like flaky, really kind of frail nails, that it is possible that maybe using some sort of skin supplement like in humans. I know they have like keratin supplements for hair and, and uh, nail growth. But, um, you know, using an omega-6 or omega-3 fatty acid supplement is probably not a bad idea. I know the one that we use at our clinic and the, not the only one. It's called Freeform Snip Tips. So I don't know um, if that's one that you've heard of or not, um, but definitely Worth a try, and and by frequent nail trims, how how frequent do you have his are their nails trimmed? Uh, we we oh. lost the call here just because the, 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 okay. the call quality was sort of <laughs> flickering there. Okay, uh, um, but yeah, even so, you know, keeping the nails as short as possible, and you know, it's funny. Most people think you know frequent nail trims mean like every other month or you know four times a year, but really, you know, trimming their nails like every other week or even you know every three weeks is really how frequent you know it can be done. We're talking to Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital. Or, okay, I'm, I've got to get this email in. We'll get Jackie's take here. I am absolutely open to being corrected. And if I'm getting something wrong, I want to know. Kathleen says, Evan, love your show. But will you please correct your pronunciation of veterinarian? She says, it's driving me crazy. She says, six syllables, not five. Veterinarian, not veterinary. So she says it's veterinary, not veterinary, not veterinary. Um, and she says, I work in the field and was schooled on this early in my career, and now I'm super sensitive to how often people mispronounce the word. Thanks for giving it a try. Kathleen, uh, thanks if I'm wrong. Uh, how do you say it, Dr. Walker? So I would say veterinarian or veterinary. You hear both, and they're both okay with you? Um, yeah, well, veterinarian. That's five syllables, right? Yeah, so yeah. she said five, too? No, she says six. Oh, it should she be says veterinarian. Six. Oh, no, I would say veterinarian. Oh. No one taught. I mean, I guess Cornell didn't teach us how to say that. (laughs) Okay. And, 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 you know, interestingly enough, and Kathleen, I'm very serious about this. um, I've had a couple of emails over the years from people who say that they want the word veteran pronounced with an extra syllable, not veteran. They want veteran. Mm. But then I've talked to veterans and and, uh, they're sort of split on that, too. So veteran, veterinarian. Uh, I don't want to mispronounce it and I certainly don't want to offend anybody. Uh, But I hear mixed things. And and Kathleen, I'm going to keep sort of surveying the field and I will definitely try to make sure that we are pronouncing it correctly. So Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville depending on how you pronounce it, Veterinary Hospital is our guest. By the way, how can they they find you over at at Churchville? So you can go on our website. Uh, You can email us at vet-churchville at gmail.com, our phone number. Thank you to Jessica Wallace for telling me to say this. It's (laughs) 293-2270. Do that again, phone number. 293-2270. Um, So easy to find. And you can see Dr. Walker is so easygoing. They have a great staff there. I've it seems like she knows everything. I mean, we can try to stump her. If you've got more questions, uh, after our last break of the hour here, we can get more of your questions in. It's 844-295-TALK. That's toll-free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI if you're calling from Rochester, 263-9994. When we come back, we'll take more of your questions. And I want to talk about acupuncture. We've got some interesting things going on with animal acupuncture coming yes. up. So we got something to talk about there with Dr. Walker after this short break.
Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the Wealth Strategies Group at Canandaigua National Bank and Trust, offering financial planning strategies that are tailored to clients' needs. Canandaigua National Bank and Trust, investing in you. And Natural Pet Foods Company, helping people make diet choices for their pets, offering frozen and grain-free foods and foods for pets with special needs. 766 Clinton Avenue in the South Wedge. NaturalPetFoodsCompany.com. Welcome back to Connections. And Dr. Walker is here answering some of your questions, including this one that comes from Jean over email. She says, our two dogs got skunked two months ago, one directly in the face. We tried over-the-counter remedies as well as a concoction recommended on the Internet. The smell is largely gone now, but when they get wet, the smell returns. Anything we can do, or if not, can we expect the smell to go away entirely at some point? I think that's actually tough because I remember when I was younger, we had a cat that the same thing happened to it. And whenever he got warmed by the sun, you could always smell a little bit on his face. Mm. Uh, So I think that it is possible, depending on how close the skunk was when they got skunked, that they might smell maybe, hopefully not forever, but it may take a while for the smell to to go away. I know that they do have, and I don't think it's a prescription, but uh, I would maybe call your vet and see what they recommend in terms of a product because I know that there's a product that we have that we actually carry, and I don't remember the name of it, so I can't help you out there. But um, but it's the one that we recommend. So it, I don't know what formulation it is either. I feel for her. It, it, it's so frustrating, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's got to be frustrating for the animal. Yes. Well, good luck. Uh, wow. Well, I'm not sure they really mind the smell that much. You don't think so? Well, you know, your, your dogs are weird like that. Yeah. Dogs eat weird things. <laughs> and that's a good point. Yeah, we are not dogs, and dogs are not us. Um, I want to talk about acupuncture. What are you doing coming up here um, as it relates to acupuncture in your field? Yeah, so I was letting, I was telling you, um, so I actually am taking an acupuncture course online right now, and it's uh, out of Colorado. And so in October, I'm going there, and at the end of it, I will be certified to do acupuncture. For, so I'm very excited for about our it. pets, and 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 yes. would you use it as a tool that when you know, for example, a pet comes in with pain or, mm-hmm. or you perceive pain, that or do your clients have to ask for? I mean, how is it going to work in your practice? You know, so I think it would be something that I would start to recommend. And again, a lot of people you know, it, um, that are looking for alternatives. And I don't even, acupuncture is not necessarily an alternative therapy because you're stimulating the nerves. They've proven it now. So it's not, it's not like magic. Um, you know, we know how it works. So it, it's, in other words, um, and, and I had a conversation with a medical doctor about this recently. It's moving beyond the field of homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Yes, know, yes, yes. Which is, you know, not verified by any scientific or, you know, sort of yeah, big studies. So. Yeah, and I think that acupuncture has now become kind of separated from like herbal treatments in terms of, you know, it's actually, you know, and we call it um, like Western acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way that the Chinese did it, they, with all of their names for everything, you know, they, that was their map of the nervous system. And so they've proven how it works now in humans and stuff. And so it, you know, it's been proven to, you know, relieve pain. And so it's not necessarily something that, you know, you can still use medications, but it's just another way to supplement it. Or some people really are against using medications. Like, for example, if something bad happened to their dog, um, like one of the rare side effects of an anti-inflammatory, you know, those people aren't going to want to use an anti-inflammatory again in any animal. And so those are the people that are looking for, you know, other ways to treat pain in their animals. And what are you learning about how well it really works? 
So, you know, again, I'm still in the beginning stages of it. But, okay. um, but you know, again, with all the studies that they've done in humans, you know, basically you're stimulating the nerves in a way that, you know, is relieving pain, increasing blood flow to the area, um, definitely reducing time in terms of injuries. So, you know, things like um, cranial crucial ligaments, which is like the same thing as an ACL tear in a human, um, you know, you can use this to try and get dogs back on their feet quicker. Um, like uh, intervertebral disc disease where similar to humans uh, dogs and cats can herniate discs in their back and so that will press on the spinal nerves and sometimes can cause neurologic deficits and so this especially acupuncture acupuncture because you're stimulating the nerves in that area um, it really can help reduce the amount of time and actually improve their recovery now this is not a question to indicate that all success in in humans from acupuncture is placebo related i don't know but can animals have, animals that strikes me couldn't have placebo because they couldn't have the expectation that a treatment would work even if it, you know, physically wasn't producing a result. I would think that placebo is a human only thing, or is that wrong? No, I mean, I think that's, um, I mean, unless that, like the humans who are observing the studies of animals who have having acupuncture done, maybe they're observing it, some sort but of But you can't like tell effect. a dog like, hey, we're, we're going to try some needles yeah. and it should yeah. work. And, the, and then the dog's going, well, this, I assume this will work. And, sure, you know, and then, sure. then the, you know, like I, this is the most ridiculous conversation we've ever had on this show. But, <laughs> but it strikes me that there would be no placebo in animals. Yeah. Unless there was maybe like observation bias, uh, like okay, maybe yeah. observing the dog after. But, but no, and I mean, they have done studies in dogs and in cats. And, you know, they come up with like objective measures afterwards in terms of how to rate their pain a certain way or behaviors that they couldn't do before that they can do after. So they they grade it very objectively. So I, I agree that I don't think that it's a very objective thing if you're using, you know, these kind of meticulous yeah. uh, ways to to judge it. Being a skeptic is the worst because placebo is less of an option for us. <laughs> <laughs> but but when it comes to the actual needles themselves, because I have had acupuncture for migraines and desperation. Mm-hmm. I've done it. Um, yeah. You know, you'll try anything. And actually, I've had, uh, in one particular case, unbelievable success. I have no idea uh, how or why, or if, and I'm not just saying it was placebo. I will say it was amazing. I, I felt great. Um, but you know, it wasn't that many needles. I think there was some in the kind of the, the pads between mm-hmm. my, my thumb and my, my pointer finger, mm-hmm. um, my feet, a couple, I think. Mm-hmm. For animals, uh, is it similar or different? Yeah, so it's similar. All the same pathways in, you know, humans they have now mapped out on dogs, and so obviously it's a little bit different. And in horses, you know, like um, some of the hand stuff that in, in humans it's hard to translate to horses because, you know, they're really walking on their middle finger instead of, you know, they don't have all the same digits that that we do, so that is a little bit hard. And and I know that, um, you know, there's there's all the points in the ear, and then certain points in the hand and the feet, and so that's a little bit different um, because we, we don't really focus on that so much. It's more like the general body acupuncture that has translated over to dogs and cats, not necessarily like the hand and, and feet intensive acupuncture. Oh, very interesting. How common is this com- becoming in your field? I do think that it is increasing in popularity. I do think um, there is one or two other vets in Rochester that do it. And so that was something that was always interesting to me. And I knew that that's something that I wanted to do after I graduated from veterinary school. So I'm happy that, you know, just a couple of years out, I am able to do it. All right. We got a, a, a few more minutes for questions with Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital. And uh, she's joining us in studio answering your questions here on Unleash. It's 844-295-TALK. Toll free, 844-295-8255. Matt emails the program and says, hi, has liquid marijuana been used to help parrots who chew or barber their feathers? 
I don't know, Matt. I, I, and again, I think it's so new that the answer is uh, maybe, but but I, don't, I certainly don't know. Uh, have you heard of anything like that? I don't think so. I mean, that could be something that could be used in the future. So that's like a stress behavior in birds. So that's a, oh, that's a stress behavior. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's called barbering. Yeah, yes, where they'll actually like they can they'll chew off all of their feathers and Oof. they'll just be naked. Sometimes it's sad. <laughs> wow. And what yeah. what can you do about that? So, and again, I'm not necessarily like a bird vet by any means, but okay. um, I know that there are some other things that you can do to like reduce their stress levels or like just like in dogs and cats, introducing new behaviors or activities into their routine to try and enrich their lifestyle so that they're not just sitting in a cage and pulling their feathers out. It's like playing like Nora Jones. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whatever sorts Paris. of games yeah. parrots like to do. <laughs> yeah. um, are there veter- veterinarians? Look, look what Kathleen's done to me. I'm really <laughs> stuck up on the word pronunciation. Uh, are there vets locally who you would send someone to if they have questions about birds? Cats and critters in the city, I think they see birds. Um, and then maybe East River, I think they, they see birds as well. Um, we, I mean, the birds that I see, um, a wildlife rehabilitator brings them to us. So it's not like pet birds with problems like that. It's like broken bones that I usually see in birds. So it's not anything like that. But I'm sure there are like stress, you know, or I'm sure there's medications yeah. that they can use um, to kind of modify behavior in birds. And bird bones are very light, aren't they? Yes. Well, depending on what ones, but yes, all of them are, but some of them actually are, you know, they're, they have air sacs in addition yeah. to lungs, but um, they're connected to the bones. So it's cool. All right. Back to your phone calls. And, uh, uh, we have uh, Johanna in Rochester next up. Go ahead. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Whatever. indeed. I just wanted to tell you success stories with acupuncture here in Rochester. I had a Labrador mix with hip dysplasia who was kept going, I'd say, almost another 10 years. It was amazing. I had a Chihuahua with um, arthritis deterioration. It really helped him. But the most Amazing was my dachshund who had the intervertebral mm. disease deterioration. Yes. Uh, we took her regularly, and one time we took her and we thought, this is it, euthanasia. She was bad. She was walking again. Then we took her again for euthanasia, and the doctor said, could we just try one more? And we did. She was not walking. Her legs were just dragging. And she got up and walked around the waiting room. So it, it's like miraculous sometimes. And she was a, a like, 13-, 14-year-old dachshund. I mean, your dog is, like, straight out of the Monty Python and the Holy Grail scene, the bring-out-your-dead scene. You know, I'm not dead <laughs> so yet. I, I think I, I want to go for a walk. By, acupuncture. <laughs> and by the way, as far as knowing whether it's working, when they would put the first needle in and then start, the dog's whole body would just relax. Now, they can't be faking that, and that can't be a placebo. <laughs> There, that's right. Yeah. That cannot be a placebo. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, Joanna. Thanks for, for those success stories. Does that bolster your confidence? Or at least that's kind of a nice little data point there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen animals have acupuncture done before, and that's the one thing that people always say is, how do you get them to sit still for it? But just like you were mentioning, when I yeah, once you put the first couple of needles in, they just relax, and it seems like they really like it. Oh, interesting. Benjamin on Twitter says, just got a new puppy, and she hates walking away from home. When do they become okay with this? Walking away from home. Um, well, puppies are kind of hard in terms of 
training them to walk on a leash anyways. So, I mean, do you mean like leaving the house or just walking it, it on a leash in me, general? It sounds to me like what he's saying, yeah, walking on a leash, walking, oh, yeah. you know, kind of going for walks farther away from home. Yeah, I think puppies are really hard and just kind of working with them on uh, like leash behavior in general, like not biting the leash and just sitting there. So it takes a long time and probably several months before they're really okay to even walk on a leash anyways. And so some dogs really like it and some don't. And it, I think it depends on the breed too and their personality. All right, Sam in Rochester next on the phone. Go ahead, Sam. Thank you for taking my call. Um, Doc, I, at one time I was sick and had almost lost the ability to walk. And I got a, a Jack Russell that's mixed with Pincher. And she was there with me all the time, and she's still with me. We spent countless a number of hours together. And the problem I have is that when someone come around me or come around the car, she, ought, she has a fit. But if they get inside the car, she's all right. So uh, what, what kind of, what can I do to kind of combat that? So it sounds like she's very protective of you, and um, and that's you know it's hard. And there's dogs that behave just like that when you when you bring them into the vet when you bring them into the vet office too. And so you know she or he thinks that they have to protect you, and you know the car is where you are in. And so I think that if that's a problem, like you said, when they get in the car, then you're allowing that person in the car, and so then that means it's okay to your dog. So either like getting out of the car, so then you know you're not in this enclosed space, and that's why dogs bark too when people come up to their house is because they think that you know they have to protect you know you who's in the house from who who's ever coming up to the house and the same thing like in the vet office when you're in the room with the dog you now are all in an enclosed area and that dog is in a new place and thinks that they have to protect you know you from the vet or whoever else is walking in so I think that um, you know just kind of repeating trials of people coming up to the car and getting in and like you know uh, you know telling your dog good job and giving them treats and you know showing them it's a positive experience and not, you know, someone that's going to attack you or the dog. So I think I think that's hard, especially when, you know, the animal and the human have such a bond. I think that's when, um, you know, they do become the most protective. One minute left here. And this is a story that I think illustrates just how how great it is to have vets like uh, Dr. Walker who help our animals in tough situations. You said before the program began that you had a dog that came in that recently ate Gorilla Glue? Yes. Gorilla Glue is like a super glue? <laughs> yeah, so Gorilla Glue like they have the commercials for. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a type of super glue, yeah. And what happened in the body? So we got about a minute. Tell the story. What happened? Okay, so so Gorilla Glue specifically, um, once it kind of um, enters any sort of moisture, which, you know, if you were to eat it, yeah. um, it would enter moisture in your mouth and the acid in your stomach. Um, so this dog <laughs> ate Gorilla Glue, and the next morning the owner called and said, hey, my dog got into a bottle of Gorilla Glue. And I was like, oh, yes, you should definitely bring the dog in right away. And, you know, she's like, well, I'm not sure how much they got. But once Gorilla Glue enters any sort of moisture, it expands to three to four times the size of however much it was that they ate. And so how you, you know, figure out if they ate enough to cause a problem is by taking an X-ray. And so, you know, we took an X-ray. And sure enough, there was it kind of just looks it looks interesting. It's on like a baseball the size. Exactly. Well, uh, bigger. Big, bigger than a that. Big yeah. softball. Yeah. So this dog, you know, essentially had a giant mass in the stomach, and we had to go in and remove it. But you did it okay. Yes. That is yep. amazing. And the dog's doing amazing now. So. Uh, well, see, uh, we would only <laughs> tell the story if it was a happy ending. <laughs> yes. Uh, if they want to contact you, Dr. Jackie Walker from Churchville Veterinary Hospital. Once again, your phone number. Two nine three two two seven zero. Two nine three two two seven zero. 
wonderfully nice people and so knowledgeable uh, and always available on short notice, it turns out, too. Dr. Walker, <laughs> yes. thank you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming and answering our listeners' thank questions. Thank you. All right, short break. Much more Connections coming next.